Well, thank you for being here this evening to celebrate with us the death of our Lord. And I would invite you to turn your Bibles with me this evening to Romans chapter 5. I'd like us to focus this evening, before we share communion together, on the blessings of justification by faith. Let's read this text together, just these five verses this evening. Let's read them together in unison. Would you stand with me as we read? And then I'll pray and we'll look together at the text. Romans chapter 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your words. Thank You for allowing us to be here this evening to open Your Word together. Thank You for the cross. Thank You for Your eternal plan of redemption that took a climax when we see Christ on the cross. Their love and mercy meet Your justice was fulfilled and Your love and mercy were poured out. We thank You, Father, for all that You accomplished. May we rejoice in the benefits and the blessings of what You have wrought at the cross and what You have given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Let me give you just a little bit of an introduction to the book of Romans before we look at the first five verses of chapter 5. Would you turn back with me to chapter 1 and just notice verses 16 and 17. The book of Romans opens with these glorious words. Famous words. It says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And from these verses, and many other verses in Romans, we have come to believe in something we call justification by faith. A glorious doctrine of the Gospel. What is justification by faith? We might define it this way. Justification by faith is God's legal declaration that a sinner who trusts in Christ alone is righteous in his sight. The word righteous, of course, means in full and complete perfect conformity to the law of God. And just that is an astounding thought that we who are sinful can be at the same time sinners and righteous in God's sight. And that is the core of the message of the book of Romans. 
And upon that basis, upon the basis of a sinner being declared righteous, is that sinner then given eternal life? The righteousness of Christ is transferred or imputed to the believing sinner. Christ earned that righteousness by His sinless life, and yet the sinner receives that righteousness by faith, and it becomes theirs before the eyes of God. The the sinner's guilt and punishment is imputed or transferred to Christ. The sinner earned that guilt and deserves that punishment that is hell, but then Christ receives that guilt upon Himself and that punishment upon the cross. And by that exchange, God declares sinners like you and I righteous in His sight. God declares that sinner right with Him. That's justification by faith. When the sinner turns to Christ and trusts in Him alone for righteousness, forgiveness, for eternal life, that sinner is justified. And so the Apostle Paul throughout the book of Romans is teaching and defending that doctrine, arguing that doctrine, helping his readers to see that the only way a person can be made right with God is through justification by faith. So in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul explains why all of us need justification. He, he paints a vivid picture of human depravity. And he explains that God's wrath is upon sinners because of their sinfulness. Just like he says in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then he explains that human depravity. In Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul explains that this justification he's talking about does not happen by self-righteousness. By trying to be good. Or by, through, or by, uh, by a life that attempts to keep the law. Most people try to become right with God by doing good things, by holding on to their self-righteousness. And the Apostle Paul lists like five different arguments that a person might give him. For, for example, one person he talks to says, well, I've judged myself and others against the law of God and I find myself to be a lot better than other people. And Paul says, you can't compare yourself to others. Look at the law you're using to compare yourself. Find yourself against the the holiness of God. When you judge others, you're really condemning yourself as you compare yourself to them. Another person might say, well, I'm blessed by God in my life. Look, look, He's given me so much. A lot of times people think that they're right with God because maybe He's taken them through an accident or... He's given them health and wealth and prosperity and they confuse that blessing with God's acceptance. And the Apostle Paul says, no, that's not the measure of God's acceptance of you. The blessings that we enjoy in this life, they're God's goodness to you that calls you to repentance and leads you to Christ. Well, somebody else might say, well, I go to church all the time and I, and I hear the law read all the time. Paul brought that. I hear, the, I hear the law read all the time. And he says, it's not the hearer of the law that's justified before God. It's the what? The doer of the law. The one who does it perfectly. Every law. All the time. And 
that sweeps us all off the table of self-righteousness. Another person says, well, I, I teach the law. I've been teaching Sunday school for years. I've taught so many people. Paul, again, he would say, it's not the teacher of the law. It's the one who does the law perfectly, even in his heart. The last person he addresses in Romans 2 says, I, I abide by many religious or spiritual practices, such as circumcision in Paul's text and many other things. People might say, I do so many religious and spiritual activities. Again, Romans chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writes, it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Romans chapter 3, Paul continues to explain the depth of human depravity and he reinforces the fact that trying to be good or trying to live by the law cannot justify sinners. There is only one way, and that is through the righteous life and the atoning death of Jesus Christ in our place. And so Paul writes in verse 19 of chapter 3, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And then you get a breath of gospel air. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest Apart from the law, I can have God's righteousness without keeping the law. In fact, that's the only way to have, have God's righteousness given to you. The righteousness of God, verse 22, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us can keep the law and be right with God but we can be justified by His grace, verse 24, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And then in Romans chapter 4, Paul explains that the greatest father of Israel, Abraham, and the greatest king of Israel, David, were both justified. Not by works. Not by keeping any of the law, but by faith. What an incredible argument is in chapter 4. And now in chapter 5, Paul explains the great blessings that come to the one who has been justified by faith in Christ alone. And that's, that's what I want to focus on tonight. I want to give you joy. I want, to, I want you to rejoice with me in the blessings of justification by faith. And, and it's, <clears throat> it's a two-edged sword because those who have been justified can say, yes, these blessings are mine in Christ. Glory to God. I didn't earn this. I didn't deserve it. It was given freely. And maybe you're here tonight and you are not justified by faith in Christ alone. And you look at these blessings and you think, I want these. And you can have them too if you will trust in Christ alone. So the main idea of these five verses that I want to share with you is this, simply 
rejoice in the blessings of justification by faith. Notice that Paul uses that word rejoice a couple of times right in the center of the text. He says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Right in the, right in the heart of the text, there is this declaration of great joy because of all of these surrounding blessings that come as a fruit of justification by faith. So what are these? What are these blessings that we can rejoice in? And you can follow in your outline there that was available to you on your way in. Number one, the first blessing is peace with God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's think on this for a moment. Before justification by faith, there was no peace with God. In fact, the Bible teaches us that before justification by faith, we are at war with God. The text tells us even in verse 10, we are the enemies of God. What makes a person an enemy of God? Because we love sin. We love our sin. The Bible tells us in John 3, that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil and so we love to run away from the light and into our sin and we love to cover it and enjoy it and yet we don't know that it's killing us. And so therefore, because we love our sin, we hate the accountability of a holy God, an omniscient God, a God who is everywhere present seeing our every action and deed and our thoughts. And we don't like that. We hate that God. And because of our rebellion and our, and, our, and our love for sin and our enmity with God, God is at war with us as well. See, God is good. And He is a good judge. And He hates sin. And therefore, He justly must pour out His wrath over us. God hated our sins. And, he, and His wrath is over us. Isaiah 48.22 says, There is no peace. For the wicked. But then what happened? Through the Gospel, the Holy Spirit turned our hearts, our sinful, rebellious, sin-loving hearts toward God, toward Christ. And we began to see our sin for what it was and the punishment we deserve. And we began to feel differently miraculously, it's, it's called rebirth. We, we begin to feel differently toward our sin and toward God. We begin to, to, to hate our sin and <clears throat> loathe its consequences and begin to love God and see what He's done for us to save us from our sin. And we were turned by the Holy Spirit to trust His finished work and to make us right with God. And so we began to seek after God by the Holy Spirit and God's end of the war was resolved as well because through the cross, Christ absorbed all of God's wrath that was due us. God is no longer angry with the sinner who is justified. All of that wrath has already been poured out upon Jesus Christ. So the heart of the sinner is turned toward God in faith. The heart of God is then open to the sinner because Christ took His guilt and His punishment. And what does that result in? Peace with God. The war between us and God is ended. 
forever. And we, ha- we don't have to wonder anymore. Is there condemnation coming for me? No, I'm at peace with God. God doesn't punish sin twice. Never does He punish sin twice. If my sin has been punished in the body of, of Christ on the cross, He will not punish me. It's done. It's finished. And that brings peace in our daily lives because then I know that the, the ebb and flow of daily life, the struggles, the pressures, the difficulties, that's not an expression of God's wrath against my sin anymore. It's an expression of God's love, as we'll see in a moment, to craft me into the image of Jesus Christ. God is no longer with me against me. He is with me for me because of Christ. Yes, Jesus said in the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He came to give us His peace, He said. What a priceless blessing from God is given to us through justification by faith. Peace with God. That's the first blessing. The second blessing. Grace. Through Him, still all through the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We we have peace through His life and death. But also this grace comes through him. We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This is a magnificent phrase. Number two, access to grace. Before justification by faith in Christ, we were objects not of God's grace, but again of God's wrath. We had no affection or desire for God. We still loved our sin, hated the accountability of God. We were still wallowing in our guilt. We were still weak. Notice what the text says in verse 6. While we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. In verse 8, He showed us His love while we were still sinners. Verse 10, while we were still enemies. We were weak. We were incapable of getting free from slavery to sin. We were incapable of paying our own punishment for sin. We were living under the dread of death, which is just the paycheck that our sin deserves. We were not God's children. We were not God's. He was not our Heavenly Father. I think of Ephesians 2.12 where it says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You you weren't part of the family of God. You weren't recipients of that family love and blessing. You were strangers to God's promises. Strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. But, But when we were justified by faith, we were given grace What is grace? I know this is a simple definition that we've heard a lot, but I think it's helpful. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace, right? G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. All of the spiritual blessings from heavenly places poured out upon us because of Christ. Because of the cross. I like to think of grace in six words. All start with P. God's pity upon us. God's pardon. God's pleasure. God's presence. His power and His provision. 
to think that God would look at us in our miserable condition, in our sin, in our depravity, in, in our judgment, and say, I'm going to take that sinner even though they are at enmity with me and I'm going to lift them up out of that. That God would be moved with compassion over us is grace. And then He would pardon us. Just like it says in Colossians 2, He would totally, he would totally set aside the record of our debt with all of its legal demands nailing it to the cross. Total pardon. Total forgiveness. What a gift of grace. His pleasure. He loves us. Just like, just like John writes in 1 John, this here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. God poured out His love upon us. His presence, not only does He love us and, and pardon us and pity us, but he has chosen to live in sinners. We'll talk about more of that in just a moment. But to live in us? His Spirit resides in us. He gives us His power. He, he fills us with His Spirit and gives us His power to overcome our sin and to, and to love Him in return, to love others. And, and all the provisions we need for life and godliness. We have This text says we have access. We have access to the riches of His grace by faith. I love those phrases in the Scripture where it says his, the riches of His grace. It is a storehouse. It is an endless supply of everything we need for life and godliness from God to us through the Spirit. God promises to provide all that we need whenever we need it. Wherever we need it. So that we can be who He calls us to be. And it says here that Look at the wording. We stand in it. That speaks of our position. Because of Christ, we stand in this grace. It's all around us. It's our position in Christ. We possess this grace continually and we can't lose it. You can't fall out of God's grace. You're standing in it. It's there for you. Why can't you lose it? Because you didn't earn it. You didn't, you didn't receive it based on your performance. It was given to you as a gift based on Christ's performance in your place. You stand in it. And it's available to you. And we're invited to access that faith through prayer. Like Ephesians 4, 14-16 says, we are called to come boldly before the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in every time of need. None of this was ours before we were justified by faith in Christ. And now, we have unlimited access to God's grace. That's amazing. God has given us the key to the resources of heaven because He has counted us as righteous as His Son. So, these are the blessings of justification by faith. Keep that in mind. It's all coming off of this first phrase. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace, we have grace, and third, we have hope. These are, no, these are not ours apart from justification by faith in Jesus Christ. So number three, hope of glory. To have hope in the glory of God, I think, means at least two things. One, I think it means to have a confidence that we will become who God has made us to be. God made us. 
And what did He make us to be? He made us His image bearers. And what do image bearers do? Image bearers reflect the glory, the attributes, the likeness of God in the world. That's what we were designed for. That's what we are joyful doing. God delights in us as we do that. But what happened? Romans 3.23, we fall short of the glory of God. We are no longer functioning as the image bearers that God designed us to function as. But what does salvation accomplish for us? It returns us. It brings us on the path back to being the image bearer of His glory that He created us to be. 2 Corinthians 3.18 We look into the face of Jesus through the Word and we begin to share that same image of glory and we grow in sanctification and we become more like Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.49 says that we will bear the image of the man of heaven. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says that one day when we see Jesus, He will make our body to be like His glorious body. So we have hope of the glory of God through justification by faith. You will become everything you long to be on that day of glorification. That does not happen for anyone unless they are justified by faith. Everyone who's justified by faith will be glorified. The second part of being hope, having, living in hope of the glory of God, I think, has to do directly with God Himself. To have the confidence that we will one day live with God and look upon His glory. I love the way that Jude writes of this. He says, now to him who is able, to, this is Jude 24 and 25, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. One day, because of the work of Christ, we will gaze upon the glory of God. And be with Him forever. That's our hope. And of course, the biblical definition of hope is not I wish, but I am confident because of the promises of God. Before we were justified by faith, neither of those things were our hope. In fact, the very opposite was our plight. Without justification by faith, we will continue to decline in darkness and become less and less, as it were, of what God would want us to be. And the end of that, and the end of that path is what? An eternity of separation from the glory of God. But after we were justified by faith, these became our hope, our confident expectation, anchored in the promise of God who cannot lie. We will be in the glory of God. We will share the glory of God because of His grace. I love how Peter writes of this. 1 Peter 1, 3-9 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is that living hope? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who, are, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for that salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this, just like Paul says, in this you rejoice. You rejoice, though now for a little while, 
if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. When? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Since justification by faith, we then look to the future and see all that God promises for us to become and behold, and we rejoice in this hope. That is yours only because of justification by faith in Jesus Christ. That living hope of glory is a blessing that God bestows upon all who have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone. The fourth blessing of justification. Growth in godliness. Growth in godliness. This is verses 3 and 4. He says, not only that, not only it's... It's like he's stacking it up in his mind and he's saying, that's enough, but not only that. We have peace, we have grace, we have hope, but not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Why Why would anyone rejoice in suffering? That word of suffering is the word affliction, pressure, just extreme uh, affliction. How can you rejoice in those things? Because there's something you know about that suffering. You rejoice in it knowing that it produces something. It produces endurance. And, and it, that endurance produces character. And that character produces more hope. And that hope makes you shameless. It does not put us to shame. Well, what's, what's Paul talking about? I'm calling it growth in godliness. Think of it this way. First of all, before we were justified by faith, the pressures and the afflictions of life, in a sense, terrorized us. How so? Well, whenever we came in a trial or affliction, before we were justified by faith, we understand that those things slowly take away from us the things of this world. They took our health. They took our money. They took a child. They, they took a possession. They took a house. They took a job. The pressures of life in this world take things from us. This short life, the things we hold dear, and really, it slowly reminded us that one day, we're going to lose everything of time. We're going to lose it to eternity. Right? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Loses, he's going to lose it all. That's why Jesus said, if you, if, you, if you hold on to the things of this life, you're going to lose it. But if you give it up for my sake in the Gospel, you'll find real life that lasts forever so, so before justification by faith the pressures of this life were terrorizing and they, and they told us they reminded us that we were objects of god's just wrath if you listen carefully sometimes when you're operating out in the world and having conversation with people at the workplace who are not believers and, and they tell you about the bad things that have happened, sometimes they tend to want to, yeah, God's probably after me. They'll throw little, little uh, snarky comments in there, and really, you know what? It's deep in the heart, isn't it? We know we're sinful. And we know there's a holy God. And all of those pressures of life remind us that we are objects of God's wrath. 
Because for the one who's not justified, that's exactly what they are. They're the consequences of sin, whether original sin or, or, or active sin in the person's life. And that the hardship we're facing is a result of that sin. And, and one day soon, there's going to be a greater reckoning for our sin. Right? That's, what, that's what testing and trial and pressure in this life reminds us of if we're not justified by faith. But after we were justified by faith, we got new glasses to look at our trials and the whole situation changed because our relationship with God changed entirely. After the suffering and the pressures and the afflictions of life mean something entirely different. They don't mean I'm losing the things that are most important to me anymore. They don't mean God is has wrath over me. The condemnation is, is over me. It doesn't mean that anymore. We rejoice in trials and, and, and suffering and affliction because God promises us that for the justified one, Christ, uh, for the justified one, suffering produces godliness in us. They help us to stop drinking from mud puddles and help us to drink deeply of the ocean of God's goodness. That's what happens. Suffering produces good things in us. It produces endurance. What's that? Spiritual ability or desire or strength to stay under God's loving, fatherly training and discipline. That's a good quality to have. Instead of running from God's teaching all the time under the pressure, God, help me to stay under Your loving, fatherly training. This endurance I need. And then that endurance, God causes the, the seed of endurance to produce character. All the different aspects of Christ-like character He forms in us through suffering. What a gift that is. For the believer, that's one of the greatest gifts to be like Jesus. To become like Jesus. And that character, when you see that Christ-like character begin to grow because of the suffering and the endurance that God has given you, that character produces more hope you have confidence that you belong to Christ because you see progress toward Christ's likeness that, that gives you confidence that you indeed are on your way to glorification. And that hope does not put you to shame because you know that He who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6 You will not come to the end of this life and think, man, I wish I didn't do this. I wish I didn't, I wish I didn't trust in Christ. I wish I didn't hope this did not turn out anything like I thought it was going to. That's not the way it's going to be at all. The one who has been justified by faith in Christ will never regret, never be disappointed, never be ashamed that they have hoped in Christ. Never will they find God's promises to fail. Never will there be a fault in God's saving plans for them. Never will they be disappointed. I love there's a theme. You note it as you read through the Scriptures throughout the year. Notice those themes where God says to His people, you won't be disappointed. You won't be confounded. You won't be ashamed. You trust Me. Isaiah 45.17 says this, but Israel is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation. You shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. I love that. That's hope. That's real hope. And all of the fatherly training and discipline that God works in our lives through suffering is just an expression of His love. Hebrews 12 tells us that. He says, Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, 
so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? This is what God says to you, my son. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who have disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. And for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later... It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, the love of God, or the hope, hope, or growth, growth in godliness is this glorious blessing that comes to us from being justified by faith. The fifth, the love of God. The love of God. The covenant love, the steadfast love, the fatherly love of God is reserved only for those who have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. You see it, what it says there? And he does, his hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. You know what? There's a misconception in the world today that God loves everybody the same. That's not what the Bible teaches. God shows His love to everyone in many ways. He, every moment that we, even as someone who is, un, who is not justified, every moment we, we live and breathe is an expression of God's love. But all through the Old Testament and all through the Scriptures, we see that God's special fatherly covenant love is reserved for those whom He has justified. It's plain. God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Oh, what a, what a, what a glorious thing that is. And that's, that's not our doing. That's entirely God's doing. His love has been poured into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't reside in everyone, does He? Only in those whom God has justified. They are the special recipients of God's Special covenant love is what he calls his steadfast love all through. You can read about it in the Psalms. The steadfast love of God. And he gives that to sinners like us. Freely. Abundantly. Before we were justified by faith, we were not objects of God's saving love, but objects of God's righteous wrath. Why? Because of our sinfulness. God is good to do that. I mean, we would, we would be up in arms if, if, if the judge of, of Delta County, right, did not execute justice for a murderer, right? And yet, the goodness of God is what makes him a righteous judge. 
And when we see that goodness coming back on us, it's terrifying. Because we're not good. We're not good. We deserve that. But then, if we have been justified by faith, God pours His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. What a glorious thing that is. And that love is far broader and longer and higher and deeper than any other we have experienced. In fact, God's love is so magnificent, so marvelous and matchless that Paul was compelled to pray, Ephesians 3, 16-19, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There is a love of God that is poured out on sinners that saves them from their sin, that rescues them from hell. And those who are justified by faith know that love as the Holy Spirit pours in their hearts. You know, there's no more comforting, there's no more comforting reality in a trial, in a test, in a season of difficulty than to know the love of God. And as God pours His love into our hearts, as we comprehend more and more the love of God that He's given to us, listen, we also then begin to share God's joy in loving like He does. We will overflow with His love and begin to love Him and others with His kind of love. And that's not possible for someone who is not justified by faith in Christ. That's a blessing reserved only for those who have been justified in Christ. Listen, that's exactly what John says. John, 1 John 4, 7-12. Beloved, let us love one another. Listen, for love is from God. And whoever loves like this has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest to us that God sent His only Son to the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. And just as the text says, it is only by the Holy Spirit that we can have God's love poured into us and love others the way He loves, just like the text says. And that's the last blessing I wanted to point out to you. The last blessing of justification by faith is the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Spirit of God. God lives in those who are justified by faith in Christ alone. Think of that. The ascended, interceding, and reigning Christ has given His Spirit to indwell every justified one. Christ is in you. God lives in you. Before you were justified, God's Spirit did not live in you, as Paul's describing here. A Holy Spirit will not take up residence 
in a sinner who is not justified. But through the saving work of Christ, the, the justified have been declared righteous. And now we are the abode of God. It's a glorious truth. Think of this, Titus 3, 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Listen, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The moment we were justified is the moment that the Holy Spirit took up residence in us. Think about what we're celebrating tonight. Good Friday, the day that Christ died on the cross, what happened in the temple? The veil of the holiest place was torn, right? What did that signify? Without the cross, no sinner could freely enter the holiest place in the temple, right? The place of God's special presence on earth. That was the holiest place, the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. But because of the cross, justified sinners not only can enter the special place of God's presence on earth, but we should say it this way, they have become the temple of the living God. They are the special place of God's presence on earth. Here's, what Jesus, here's how Jesus described it. John 14, 18-24. He looks at His disciples and He says, this is the night before He dies. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father. He's talking about His resurrection and ascension. You'll know that I'm there. I'm in my Father. And you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it's he who loves me. And he who loves me, listen, will be loved by my Father. You see? The special love. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Okay, Judas, not Iscariot, said, well, Lord, how, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to Him and make our home with Him. The justified sinner is the home of the Trinity. This is amazing. God in us. What a glorious blessing this is. Paul writes, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And he also says in 1 Corinthians 6, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. These are the blessings of being justified by faith in Christ alone. We have peace. We have grace. We have hope. We can, we can rejoice in our suffering because they produce things. There's godly growth. We have God's love. We have God's Spirit. Are you justified by faith tonight? In Christ alone? These are yours. These are yours.
because of the cross. Isn't that great news? This is all you need. Listen, if you're not justified by faith in Christ tonight, will you turn to Christ? Everything is prepared. All the righteousness you need to stand before God, Jesus already earned it through His sinless life. You need to receive it by faith. Turn away from your self-righteousness, all of your religious activities, and embrace the righteousness of Christ as your own dress before the eyes of God. And, and you can't deal with your sin either, but Christ already did. Give Him your guilt, and your punishment. He took it on the cross. That's what the cross is all about. God taking all the wrath that we deserve and pouring it out on His Son so that we can have everlasting life. Turn to Christ and these blessings will be yours. Turn from your sin. Turn from self. It's not worth it. These blessings are far better than the short pleasures of sin in this life. To see God in His glory and to be with Him forever is a far better blessing. But you can't have those apart from being justified by faith in Christ alone. But remember what Jesus said, all who come to me, I will raise up. If you come to Him in faith, He will receive you. Not one person who comes to Him in true faith will ever be refused. Isn't that good news? By faith in Christ. Rejoice in the blessings of justification by faith. Would you stand with me and we'll give thanks together before we sing and share at the Lord's table. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in these great blessings. And you have, you have given us far more than we, could, we, we ever deserve and we ever could even imagine or anticipate. Not only did you list, lift us up out of the mire and, and, and out of the sin and out of the punishment, but then you pile blessing after blessing upon us until one day we'll, just, we'll be with You in Your glory. We look forward to that day, Heavenly Father. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Thank You for the cross. Thank You. Thank You that while we were still sinners, You died for us, Lord Jesus. And may we, may we take joy and worship You now as we look at Your body and Your blood symbolized in the cup, in the bread. We give you thanks. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.